You're about to listen to an episode of Childhood Remastered. Check out our website at childhoodremastered.com for information on how to subscribe and where to find us on social media. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Childhood Remastered. This is the podcast where we look back on the cartoons and TV shows and movies of our youth and see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And today we're going to be reviewing a movie that uh, I watched when I was younger. Did you watch this movie when you were younger? I did. You did. Um, This movie is from 1994. And it's called The Page Master. This is a movie that I'm pretty sure many people forgot, but some of you probably remember more than you should. Yeah, I'm one of those people because I, did, I, I am too. I remember the movie pretty fondly. This was another one that like my grandmother had that we that we watched fairly regularly. I mean, not like we watched it every time, but I remember watching this movie more than once, like on video once it came out. I definitely saw it in the theater. And I, I don't lo- think I, I don't think I saw it in the theater. I saw it in the theater and I loved it when it was in the theater. You can't see it right now, but I'm bowing down to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and when and then when it came home to like home video, I think I watched it one or two times and then that was it. And I probably this viewing that I did was the first that I've done in 20 years probably. I would Yeah, probably about 20 years. I would say that I I am probably in the same boat. I probably haven't seen this movie since like I was maybe like, eleven or twelve, so ninety-seven. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. I feel like I rewatched it at some point, but yeah, I, I haven't seen this movie in close to twenty years either. So before you watched it, what did you remember of it? Um, I remembered Macaulay Culkin. He's the uh, star. Um, I didn't actually until I had looked it up. I didn't recall that Christopher Lloyd was in it. Um, I, yeah, remem- I didn't remember that at all. I remembered more the animated parts because this movie is a. It's not even half and half. It's it's like a quarter live action and three quarters animation. Yeah, and and the that quarter of live action is bookended in half front and back. Yeah, so it's almost no live action. Just like, but uh, the live action is we're going to discuss today kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, it, it's just like um, it's just like Rockadoodle. It's the same thing, like live action in the beginning, cartoon in the middle, live action at the end. Yes, and then uh, so yeah. Aside from that, I remember. I mean, I did remember the song in the middle of it. The the oh, see, I didn't remember that. I at remember all. that song. And what's funny is when I rewatched it, when that song came on, I knew it. I started singing along with it. I was like, oh no, I remember this song. I don't remember it, like, the song. It, yeah, it, yeah, it absolutely like made an impression on me. But I remember songs a lot. Uh, my memories of this are, I remember that I'm pretty sure it was 
I want, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I didn't look it up. I didn't want to look it up, but I'm pretty sure that it was Burger King that had toys for this. And I remember the toys and wanting them. <laughs> uh, they came with like Happy Meals or something, even though we never ate a Burger King. And uh, I so you, remember you forced your you forced your parents to go to a uh, into a, like a, a Burger King fast food place that you don't normally go to just to get a toy, just to get a toy, yeah. <laughs> and and I remember that's about what I remember of it. That that was <laughs> almost all of my memory of this movie, and the fact that there were books. I the only book that I remember, the only book that I remember was the horror book. Okay, so I, my memory was just Macaulay Culkin's in it. And he travels with books, and there's a book that is a horror book, and he travels with that, and it's his friend. And and there were toys from a fast food place. Now that you mention it, I remember the toys, too. It was like each of the books, and there was like... And then one of Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, and, and was then, there one of like the Page Master, too? I think there's one of the Page Master. I, you know, I don't remember which one it was exactly. I, it could be McDonald's, but there... I do remember those toys, though. I do. I remember what, which toys you're talking about. So I just looked them up, and it's actually Pizza Hut. Okay. Well, forgive me for not remembering which fast food restaurant I got toys in 25 years ago. <laughs> How dare us? How dare we? Yeah. You know, I wanted to. I wanted to ask you before we really got into it and delved into it. Um, just surface level, did you like watching this or no? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'll say, I, I, yeah, I, I, we talked about this today before when we were getting lunch. Uh, I think it's not a great movie, but I definitely think it was better, far better than what critics had to say about it. Yeah, well, let's not go too much into it because that's what we're going to talk about. Yes. But, um, before we before we do, let's talk about what we're drinking. Um, Golden Road. Golden Road, uh, 329 Lager. I actually went to an Angel game yesterday. They lost. Uh, but beforehand, I Surprise. went. To, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, beforehand, I went to the Golden Road Brewery, which is across the street from Angel Stadium. And their second location is. Yeah, their second location. Yeah. Um, and I got pretty blitzed on three twenty nine, and uh, their their right said red or something. I think that was the name of the the red that I was drinking. But it's, oh, it's a pretty good lager. Yeah, I mean, I'm not normally a lager drinker. <sighs> it's um, it's sort of like your uh, it's sort of like your your Budweiser. It's well. It's a, a it's regular same... standard lager. Yeah. It's about as light as I'm going to drink normally. But. Yeah. That's good. It's a good drinking beer. So, the movie Page Master, for those of you who don't know, is a movie that is, as we mentioned, live action and animated, mostly animated. Yep. That is about a little kid who's afraid of everything. He is who... absolutely terrified of... He He's he's paranoid. He, yes. He's got phobias and of just ridiculous things. Yes. And, Literally afraid of everything. And so he's afraid of everything, and at some point he suffers a, a head trauma. Massive, massive cranial contusion. And then hallucinates <laughs> his adventure with books that then come to life. In much the same way that many lonely high school kids do. Yeah, yeah. And then he wakes up, and his parents didn't wonder where he was for the whole night. No, they did. And then he, well, but not really. Let's yeah. be honest. We're going to discuss this, yeah. but they didn't give a shit. And then he goes home, and then that's the movie. I mean, um, honest, so how honestly, do you make that interesting? Honestly, though, I mean, I can talk about it later. But honestly, if if uh, you were that child's parent and you realized what kind of just god awful of a head case that he is, would would you go looking for him too hard? Or would you be like, honey, this is the blessing that we've been asking for? <laughs> well, no. I mean, I probably, I mean, because it's your kid. Like, 
it's it's hard to explain. Like <laughs> as a parent, like even if your kid's like a monster, sometimes like you you love your kid and like you would if your kid disappeared for. 24 hours you're probably gonna wonder where the hell they went 20 minutes probably yeah yeah um so this movie came out in november of 94 the end of november uh as part of kind of sort of the lead up to the holiday season yeah 94 it wasn't a holiday movie at all though no no it just like it's the whole like let's throw an animated movie in at christmas to capitalize on the season yay children and it had a budget of 27 million dollars and a box office of 13.7 so, not good. No, not good. Not good. Uh, it did earn a Razzie for Macaulay Culkin. Uh, a Razzie um, nomination. Yeah, nomination. He didn't win. He wasn't that bad. No, <laughs> but he was bad enough that he got two Razzies in the same year. One for this movie and one for Richie Rich. Now, do you know... Uh, oh, he... excuse me. And also for Getting Even With Dad. So, he actually has three Razzies for do you know what movie he, year. You know what movie beat him out for the Razzie for uh, Best Worst Actor? Wyatt Earp, Kevin Costner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, trying, I would agree. Trying to capitalize on the uh, success of, I don't know. That's Tombstone, of, probably. Yeah, that's one of those, that's one of those weird uh, movie... Chicken or the egg? Well, yeah. You, no, yeah. It's one of those weird movie things, like, what came, like, which came... Who had the idea first? The one for Armageddon or the one for Deep Impact? Who had the idea first? The one for Tombstone or the one for Wyatt Earp? Because they're essentially the same freaking movie made by two different studios released almost at the same time. We could do a full episode, like two full episodes just on uh, not even Armageddon as far as the movie, but just so much as like the other stuff and how bad it was and... No, that movie is... I still... I have a lot to say about the movie. Without, we maybe without look, someday can do. But. Without looking it up, I wouldn't be able to tell you which one was the oil digger, the oil drillers, and which one... That was. one I know. The oil, drigger, uh, oil driller one was Armageddon. That was Armageddon? Yeah, because they were, they were shooting from the hip, and they're the Wild West, and it's Bruce Willis. And oh, so okay. it's going to be the And that, was, that was the one with Liv Tyler, too? And That's the... the um, don't want to... We're working together, and I'm going to strip your daughter, and now we're going to travel to an asteroid. And Yeah, no, that movie's okay. terrible. Okay, okay. Yeah, we don't want to talk about... Right. Too much, too much. Too much, too much. Uh, so, this movie is not well-received by the critics. No. Like, I, at all. I We're going to put a description in for um, a couple of the reviews. One of them is by Roger Ebert, who said that it's a sad and dreary film, um, who thought that um, the message for the movie seemed to be that books can be almost as much fun as TV cartoons and video arcade games. Which um, they can. I don't understand the criticism. No, he's saying almost. He's saying they can be oh. almost as much fun. Basically, it's like saying that this movie is not a rousing endorsement for books. Oh, uh, okay. I'll that go, why go, get a book when you can just have a video game? Which um, I understand his sentiment, but I disagree with it after watching the movie. I think he's wrong. Yeah. Um, One of the few times in which... He does, he does get it wrong sometimes. There are reviews that he's gotten it wrong, but yeah. it's few and far between. Um, one of the, the reviews at the time from uh, Variety, a guy named Brian Lowry, said that the film's principal appeal for adults would be in its abbreviated running time. Yeah. Which, that's a dick thing to say. <laughs> yeah. The movie's um, only like an hour and 15 minutes so long. So I always do all of this research before I watch the movie. And I was reading these reviews and and quotes and thinking oh god this is gonna be terrible so so did the did the in doing the research and reading the reviews did that lower your expectations for the movie oh yeah and so watching it you had a better feeling about the movie i think so. so i think so because my i i remembered it as being fun but thinking just on the surface remembering what i remembered this sounds like a stupid movie and then reading all the stuff and going, oh, God, this is going to be a train wreck. <laughs> and then watching it and then it not being a train wreck, um, maybe is partially because I level set. 
Yeah. But I always kind of do that anyways. Yeah. That's just kind of like my personality type. But um, the the movie we should mention also had a video game that it, Which it actually, I don't I don't remember playing at all, but you do. Yes. So well, it actually had a couple versions of video games. There's one for PC that I never played because I didn't have a PC as a kid. Uh, but there was a version of it that was on home consoles: Genesis, SNES, NES, whatever. Hmm. Um, it's made by Probe Software. It's the same company that developed the Lemmings games and the first Mortal Kombat games for home consoles. Oh, and the Batman Forever games for home consoles, which everybody knows is they're garbage, right? They're so garbage. Um, the I have a, a Raspberry Pi, and I actually played this game maybe about a year ago, something like that. And uh, it the the controls are kind of floaty. It's it's not crap but it's not good it's is that the one it's where you, passable is that the it's one a side-scrolling you, 2d action adventure you collect like um, pages from a book or uh-huh, something okay yeah. uh and the animation in the game is sort of weird which the some of the animation in this movie is also kind of weird uh, and we'll mention that as we go but yeah. um uh, the movie was directed by two different people uh they had a live action director and an animation director so the live action director was joe johnson who holy shit has a, a hell of a pedigree oh yeah like this the, it's always funny when you find you find people that are involved in like really mediocre or even bad movies that came from such great stock so this guy was the effect was one of the effects artists for the first star wars movie he was the art director for the second, uh, the two the next, Star Wars, yeah, the next two Star Wars episodes movies. five and six, and then he uh, and the first two Indiana Jones, exactly, and Howard the Duck. Well, you know, we all have to have a low point. They uh, can't, they can't all be winners. No, he produced one of my favorite all-time movies, which is Willow. <laughs> uh, no question, Willow is in my top ten, and I know I don't care how dumb that sounds. I love Willow. Matt Mardigan. Matt oh, Mardigan. Matt Mardigan is is uh, panty dropper material, right there. Oh uh, yeah, even even he all is. I don't care. Thirty years later, he is. He's a badass. <laughs> but this guy directed Honey I Shrunk the Kids and Rocketeer and Jumanji, um, Jurassic Park three, Captain America. So interesting. I didn't put this in here, but. He got the job for Captain America, the first Avenger. Because of the Page Master? No, because oh. of Rocketeer. Oh, oh yeah, that makes sense. Also, the Rocketeer is probably also my top ten. I love me some Rocketeer. <laughs> and they're remaking it, last I heard. But that that movie also is a game. Not so good. Um, <laughs> but God, the Rocketeer is so good. I watched it not that long ago. And he's a production designer for the first... Uh, uh, or for the first two uh, live-action Ewok movies. Which I... They played a big part in my childhood, Sean. Not at, Sean, not at all for me. <laughs> Sean is begging me that we never cover these. My, my experience with those movies is the like short clips that they used to do like the safety things in oh, Star Tours. Yeah, that was it. That was all I ever knew about those movies. And then occasionally, like a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, they play them? them. I think I've seen one of them all the way through, but just bits and pieces of the other one. So. Real quick rundown. The first one is is some family get that gets stuck on Endor. That's the one I've seen. Okay, and then they get captured by like a giant, and I think like one of the parents dies or something. Good. All I remember is that there's there's like a, a lake that you can go in but can't come out of. That some kid got trapped in. They saved him, and then some giants live there, which is weird. And then the second one, it's uh, I you think sure it's not Skyrim. No, 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 no. It's a although. Uh, no, and then the second one is some old man who looks like Wilford Brimley, uh, who lives in the forest. That's the one that they used for Star Tours. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he, some little blonde girl with like yeah, a with blonde the afro and, ha- yeah, and a yeah, headband. Yeah. yeah, she ends up getting taken care of by the old hermit who fights some weird goblin-looking people. So, 
Um, I guess George Lucas gave him a paid sabbatical to attend SC Film School. USC. Um, yeah, USC uh, Film School. And uh, and he was asked not to return after a year because he, quote, broke too many rules. Um, he has an Oscar for Best Visual Effects for Raiders. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's... And also a Razzie uh, for Worst Remake or Sequel because of his work <laughs> on Jurassic Park 3, which lost to 2001's Planet of the Apes. Which just goes to show you that you can be really, really good and still put out really shit work. Oh, see, I was going to say it just goes to show that you can always do something shitty, but there's always somebody else out there doing there's al- something worse. There's always a shittier fish in the ocean. Yes, yes. The The guy who's head of animation for this, uh, Maurice but, Hunt, was an animator for Black Cauldron. And a, a character designer for Snorks. So. And the completely mental misadventures of Ed Grimley, which is a cartoon that I am sort of proud that I've never seen. I I I have vague recollections. It, it's a movie that, or it's a it's a cartoon show based off a of SCTV skit. Yeah, Ed Grimley, played by Martin Short. Yeah, and it's very. I watched some some clips of it actually back when you and I very first started the recording process for this podcast back in like July of last year. I remember watching some clips for this and uh, sending you a text or something about it, and then watching watching some of the video. It's it's bizarre. It's yeah. very weird. Hey, um, Martin Short's a weird guy. Maybe we'll cover it at some point. Maybe. So, so now the big now the big boy. We gotta mention the producer in here. There's some controversy about this guy. There's David Kushner. There's much controversy about him. Yes. And he started by designing album covers for Neil Diamond. Yes. Yes. My um, mom's favorite singer. He uh, helped create and was the executive producer for American Tale. Which oh, is a great movie. It is. Uh, which is also Steven, uh, Steven Spielberg movie. Yeah. Um, nothing like a nothing like a movie about Jewish mice from Russia. Are they Jewish? Well, it's based off of the book Mouse, which is about oh, Jewish yeah. mice. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like Jewish I rats. And I, I assumed that they were Jewish. Well, yeah, I, I, I just they're like vaguely Yiddish. So yeah, yeah. Um, he created Pirates of Dark Water, which we've discussed before. Uh, great show. And he worked on Earth Final Conflict when. It, which is a it's a science fiction show from 1970-2002 that I have very fond memories of, and it's not good, and I don't care. But I I, I want to say that I watched a little bit of that, and then I gave up. It's a Gene Roddenberry project. I think that's probably he, why I watched it. He developed it like he was working on it before he died, and then uh, his uh, wife, uh, who obviously was later his widow, Major, uh, Major yeah, um, who's Loxana Troy from TNG, and the voice of the cart or the voice of the computer, yeah. Yeah, that's right. She is. Yeah. Well, the voice Next of the Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she, I guess, was a developer, a producer for that. Um, but he, he also produced the uh, first three Child's Play films and Titan AE, which I think is a good movie. we got to cover it. I haven't <laughs> seen it yet. We've we've mentioned it so many times since talking about Rockadoodle. Yeah. we got to cover Titan AE. we we got to do, do, do Titan AE and Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet? Treasure Planet. Nobody wants that. Yeah, what? Bullshit! Treasure Planet has some of the best characters. Has that line where he's like, she needs a doctor. I mean, I'm technically a doctor, but not really. I mean, I have a PhD in astrophysics. What I'm trying to say is, when you have a PhD, you can't help anybody. I don't remember. See, I remember about as much of Treasure Planet. And Treasure Um, Planet also had the weird kind of sexy cat lady captain. Yeah, I, I remember as much of Treasure Planet as you probably do of, uh, like, a freshman chemistry course. So all of it. You so, remember all of it. Yes, all of it, of course. Yeah, that's, yeah. Why, that's why I'm on a list where I can't get on planes. <laughs> <laughs> so 
this was produced by uh, Turner Feature Animation, which is a spinoff of Hanna-Barbera. We've discussed them before because they later, of course, developed uh, Cartoon Network and... You know, they did like Yogi Bear yeah. and all that stuff. Hanna uh, Barbera, with, all the all the classic non Warner Brothers, non Disney cartoons. Yeah. yeah, when Warner Brothers and Disney kind of took a dump slash break in the '60s through the '80s, it was all Hanna Barbera yeah. all the time. Yeah, Yogi. Um, you had Huckleberry Hounds, the Jetsons, the Flintstones. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff yeah. in there that they all did. Um, I think this movie took maybe longer than it should have to produce is three years. Yeah, three-year production. I mean, if it was... I guess I understand it because a lot of it is animated and animation takes a long time, but... Whew. Like, to start in 91 and not finish until 94? Yowza. Yeah, that, that, that's like too much, I think. Um, I, I think... Let's just talk about some of the controversies. So the screenplay is um, actually done by a guy named David Kasky. Now, if you look it up, it's going to say it's David Kirshner and David Kasky. But it was really a guy named David Kasky. And what happened was, is Kirshner decided to be a dick. And yeah, it's, it's really like a super dick move because, because from what I understand... He attempted to claim sole authorship of the screenplay and original story with no credit to Kasky. And, um, Kasky and was, he did almost none of the development work on the, on the script either. Yeah, because Kasky was the one that came up with the original screenplay, like the idea for it. And the way the way Kirshner was able to come in and try and claim sole creative ownership of the movie is because there was like a weird a weird like provision in the Writers Guild of America about how that their how they uh, the writing credits were attributed. For animated for stuff animated versus movies. live action. And yeah. because because the movie was mostly animated, Kirshner argued that Kasky shouldn't get writing well, credit. Well, it said they were trying to argue that the WGA didn't have jurisdiction to determine credits. Mm -hmm. Because they're the ones who basically ultimately decide. Yeah. And so they were trying to argue otherwise. And it, it turned um, into a whole almost like court case where they they were like arguing back and forth about about like what constitutes a writing credit on the movie. And I think it's at one point, didn't Kirshner just threaten to like run the movie without Writers Guild approved credits and be like, fuck you guys. I'm just going to put my name on it anyway. Yeah. And so they were basically for, well, he threatened that and then it forced the Writers Guild to file an injunction blocking the film's uh, Christmas season release. Yeah. So they were going to actually be able to legally block the release of the film. So they said, oh, you want to run it without approved credits? Well, F you, you're not releasing it at all. So, because uh, Kasky was a, a, a writer under the Writers Guild of America, he was a member of the Writers Guild. Yeah, and and so uh, it went through legal arbitration. And so, when you look up the credits, and it's you know when you watch the film and you see the credits, you'll see the two of them are listed. Uh, there's also a third writer named Ernie Contreras who also received some screenplay credit, who had done some of the the writing too. But it was ultimately mostly Kasky. Who did the majority bulk of the writing and Kirshner? Kirshner is actually his name is on like a lot of products. I mean, he's done, oh God, all kinds of things, uh, all kinds of different movies and and different um, different projects that are just kind of random. But he's done a lot of stuff that I guess the question is, did he actually have a lot to do 
Well, here's with those projects that he worked on, or or did he sort of not like all the stuff we talked about, like American Tale, Earth Final Conflict? How much of um, that did he actually? have How a hand much of in? that did he actually have a hand in? Because if he's one, especially saying that he's a creative and executive producer on American Tale, how much of it did he actually do? How much of it did he just kind of dickishly take from somebody else? So I don't know because I mean I don't know the guy. All I can go off of is the legal action and the arbitration for this movie would lend me to think. That Kirshner might have done so on other projects. So one of the things that I think makes this whole controversy like more egregious is is after I watched the movie, I thought like most of the time when I see an animated movie or something that it's probably based off of something. So I, I went looking. I'm like that. Ah, uh, good. I'm glad uh, you're going to go yeah. there. Okay. So I, I didn't put I, it in our notes, but yeah. I, I remember. So I, I, yeah. I started looking up. I was I was like the Page Master book. And I got to a, I got to a little this bit of information. This was part of the argument he tried to make in court too. Yeah, and I got to a little bit of information that said that there was no previous property called the Page Master. Like essentially, Caskey had created the entire story, and then later novelizations expounded on it. But but the movie itself was the first like iteration of that story. That there wasn't a book before that. Yes and no. So Caskey wrote the screenplay. They made the movie. Before the movie got released, Kirshner put the books out. Yeah. And then tried to argue that the books pre- predated the movie, so therefore, ergo, he should have yeah, Even credit. though the screenplay was written before the books were. And his name is attached as a writer on the books. Yeah. So that was like kind of part of his argument that he tried to use. a super dick move. Yeah, like... Wh- <laughs> I mean, really, it... Why, why would you want to, like, screw... So- like, I'm... I think I've said this before. Where I'm not the type of, I'm not the type of guy who want who will go out and tell people like what they should pay people, what they should compensate people in their employ. Whatever the market like, will bear. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not the okay. type of person that wants to go out and like dictate to people what they should do with their money. But if someone does work for you, give them freaking credit for the work that they did and fair well, credit. For yeah. What they like did. why would why would you try and muscle out a guy who wrote the story? It's just got to be some like Hollywood bullshit ego thing. Well, and and then like also they can play. then they can also say that well that they wrote this and then they can use it to get onto other pet projects too. Yeah. Um, but at the expense of screwing somebody else over. Yeah. So let's let's maybe jump into our cast a little bit. So yeah. obviously we mentioned Macaulay Culkin. He is the only well no, there's two characters. But he is one of two characters that gets both live action and an animated. Yep. Um so the other character is Christopher Lloyd who we've covered in earlier podcasts a little bit. We're going to discuss some more today. Yeah. Did you notice when you're watching the movie, the the credits, the, the kind of like ethereal credits that played, yeah, like yeah, with yeah. the smoke and all that stuff, um, they show like some basic production. They always do this. So anytime the movie says directed by, you know that the movie started, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, they show different cat or they show different like produ- produced by, written by, blah, 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 blah. And then they show starring... Macaulay Culkin, Christopher Lloyd, directed by The Page Master, in that order. And then the movie started, and then they showed the other people who are in this movie as ancillary people who, at this point, 1994, Christopher Lloyd's star is starting to fall. Macaulay Culkin's star, starting to fall. This is 1994, so Whoopi Goldberg is also in this movie, and so is Patrick Stewart. And the two of them, at this, 1994, Patrick Stewart was kind of a big deal because... Next Generation. Yeah, that was right in the middle of it. it uh, towards, towards the, the tail end, end yeah. like season six, I think, yeah. of Next Generation. And Whoopi Goldberg, who at that point uh, had 
One, she might have been the biggest Hollywood star in that movie. She was because she, in fact, she she is a. Um, By the way, I felt like such a douchebag saying Hollywood star. Oh uh, well, it's Hollywood okay. star. It fits. Uh, Hollywood star Whoopi Goldberg graced us with her presence today as she took on the form of a book and floated around, sprinkling fairy dust on us. Well, I mean, you are kind of a, a d bag, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Whoopi Goldberg's one of the only people ever to have an EGOT. And she she was nominated for an Oscar for The Color Purple. And then she won one in Ghost. So she kind of was the biggest deal. So EGOT, I know what that is just because I figured it out in my head. But what is an EGOT? Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, right? E-G-O. And then T is Tony. Yes. Yeah. So she has all of the above. Um, She didn't finish her EGOT, I think, until... Like 2009, I think, when she got her uh, her Emmy. It's all right. It, um, sometimes it takes batters their entire career to bat the cycle. Yeah, well, I mean, she, yeah, still. Um, well, so Macaulay Culkin, let, let's talk about him. If you go, don't know who he is, go watch Home really alone. the only movie, two movies that you need to watch starring Macaulay Culkin. No, excuse me. There's three movies that you need to watch starring Macaulay Culkin. I, you better you better say the right third Yes, one. I am. You better. I, we're getting there. The first is Uncle Buck. <laughs> oh, that's the one I was talking that's about. That's my number one. And then Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2. Yeah. After that, anything else he's done, uh, My Girl, uh, Richie Rich. I liked My Girl because he died at the end. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Bee Stings. Bee Stings to death. Yeah. And <laughs> then he did some other, oh, um, Good Son. He did some other stuff. And oh, then he yeah. disappeared. Good Son, wasn't that with Elijah Wood? Was it? I, thought I think so. I don't know. I just remember. They're about the same like, age. There was a like a dummy that he threw. Uh, he called him like Mr. Highway, and it was uh, like a fake dummy that he would throw out onto the street to like cause an accident. He was like a... Basically, the movie's about this kid as a dick. Um, yeah, he's bad. Yeah. And so, then he disappeared and he came back and he looks like Skeletor. So It was um, Elijah Wood. Yeah. Okay. Christopher Lloyd, who we just said is in this. He plays a character named Mr. Dewey, the librarian. Um, which, Dewey, Dewey Decimal System, mm-hmm. library, ha ha, very clever. Yeah, um, and, and I found out from doing some research that the uh, way that his live action character is designed is supposed to be a... Uh, Homage to um, Charles Dickens. Supposed to be, but... But to me, the first thing I thought of, and I wrote this... I don't often take notes, but I decided to take notes for this movie. The first thing I noticed about his character, I said, hmm, he looks like a Faustian devil type character right there. Because he's got like yeah. a he got like a goatee and like a mustache, like a big pointed yeah, the, beard the and a big mustache. Faustian beard. Yeah, and yeah. his hair is like poofy, and yeah, he's just like, oh, he's the devil. Like this is classic. This is classic, like devil in disguise. He yeah. I, so his character he plays two characters. One is a librarian, and then the other is an animated character where he plays uh quote the page master. He's like a magician. Now I so- I didn't know this so. Di- when I was looking him up, that he's a descendant of a Mayflower passenger, um, and oh. that and that one that some of his um, some of his family, his grandfather uh, actually, one of his grandfathers was uh, one of the founders of Texaco Oil. Oh, so he's set. He that makes him a uh, that makes him a Tsar then, son of the American Revolution. Yeah, yeah. He I guess he would be. Yeah. Have um, you ever been to any of those uh, events, by the way? No, um, I, I went. I went with a girl once to like a Dar event, and boy, stuffy! It's a bunch of people that are really proud of who they came from. Yeah, and and <laughs> who have done almost nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, your, what's your claim to fame? My great 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 grandfather. 
was a colonial militiaman. Cool. <laughs> okay. Awesome. That, that's Thank great you. for him. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Edith. You can sit down now. So, someone help her sit down. No, no. Oh, 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 oh. She's got it. It's the inbreeding. That's what. That's what it is. Yeah. So Christopher Lloyd, all obviously, is Doc Brown. Yeah. From my favorite movie series. Yeah. Back to the Future. Um, and of course, Judge Doom from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Probably one of the most traumatizing characters from any children. For a small kid, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, when he burns the sh- when he destroys that little boot, the little shoe. Oh. I really, Kathy still cries about that. You know what movie I really liked him in though? When it um, looks up at him and he's like, "What are you doing? You're killing me!" And then it just dip. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite oh, movies that my. he was in was uh, Adam's Family uh, Values, the second one, where he married that woman named Debbie with the blonde hair, and he was all crazy in love for that Valley Girl woman. Who was, oh yeah. Uh, she was actually a, a murderer who was just after him for his money. And the family then, when they found out that she was like this uh, she, Black Widow murderer, they, they all like, admired Yay! her. They're like, oh, she's normal. And then, yeah. Uh, <laughs> those are, Actually, I think the second one is is better than the first one. When they go to summer camp. Oh, um, you just, yeah. You know what? I had the biggest crush on Christina Ricci too. Yeah, I did too. And so it's that, okay. was, that was about the same, because she's, she's like our age. Or she's a little yeah, older about, than us. I think she's like two years older, whatever. Yeah. Same age. Yeah. yeah. So, so like, yeah, like 13 year old Christina Ricci in that movie. I was like, like 11 year old me was like, oh, the hormones are kicking in. Mm, the hormones. Um, horror hormones. Oh, the other character that I always remember Christopher Lloyd from, which is a little bit on the obscure side. Um is Switchblade Sam from 1993's Dennis the Menace. Did you ever see the live-action Dennis the I Menace? I did, but so, I only remember that movie was Walter Matthau. Yeah, Walter Matthau is... Um, Mr. Wilson. Is Mr. Wilson, but but Dennis, at some point, I think, like, uh, he gets kidnapped. Well, he thinks he's running away or something, but everybody else thinks he got kidnapped, and he gets, quote, kidnapped by Christopher Lloyd's character named Switchblade Sam, who's this, like, escaped convict. And then, basically... Uh, uh, Dennis the Menace dri- drives him crazy by doing all this awful stuff to him. Like, uh, I think he puts like a hot poker in his hand and he does it gets like stung by bees, all just this like terrible stuff. And I remember that movie very fondly. It was one of my favorites as a kid. I remember him a lot from the movie Anastasia. Oh, it's Rasputin. Yeah, but he's not Rasputin's singing voice. That was Jim Cummings. No, yeah. Who's also in this movie. Yeah, he is. Um, there's actually a lot of crossover yeah. in this. So let's get to the other two people that are in the live action. And then I want to talk a little bit about the live action before we get into the voice cast. Okay. So uh, the the other one is uh, played is the mom of Macaulay Culkin's character. No, first of all, Macaulay Culkin's character is Richard Tyler. But I'm never going to call him that through the rest of this podcast. I'm calling him Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Okay. I put so, in my notes like Rich. Like I just call him Macaulay Culkin. Mac. I just call wrote him Mac. Like my notes say Culkin. I'm not writing Richard <laughs> Tyler, Rich Tyler, nothing. It's it's Macaulay Culkin. So okay. uh, Mel Harris played his mom in this, and uh, she's basically known for a character in the show Thirty Something. The next, the last guy that I want to mention is Ed Begley Jr. And he's done a lot of things actually, but the one thing that I always remember him for is Henry Starling from the two episode. Uh, uh, arc in Star Trek Voyager, where Voyager travels back in time to like the late '90s, and this uh, this guy gets a hold of a time machine and starts I like releasing. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The time cop uh, technology he starts to release, and then that's how they get a hold of it. That's how the Doctor gets his holometer. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that. Okay, okay, yeah. So, okay, he's done other things. He's done like a Mighty Wind for your consideration, Best in Show, and those kinds of things. Spinal Tap. Yeah, um, all the all the Christopher Guest ones. Yeah, yeah. 
which I've I think mentioned before also. So before we get into the animated part, I just because this was where most of my notes was from were from. It was the uh, it was from the live action part in the beginning. So the live action part in the beginning, just as a quick overview, is. Um, the kid, Culkin, he's afraid of everything. For some crazy reason, his dad is building him a... He's afraid of tuna. He's afraid of tuna. Canned no, tuna. No, no, no. Remember, he's not afraid of tuna. He's afraid of the mercury in the tuna. That I was setting you up for the line. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so his dad's building him a treehouse, even though he's afraid of heights and afraid of ladders. If I remember right, he has like an AED uh, and like a... Uh, first aid kit in his bedroom. Like, He's got all kinds of stupid shit. Weird stuff. So, uh, like his dad in the movie, he he talks about how uh, his dad signed him up for Little League, and Macaulay Culkin brings a, a medical journal to show that getting a uh, concussion or a head injury can cause brain cancer, and that shin splints cause blood clots in the legs. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, what kind of messed up kid do you have? How did you end up with a kid like that? I signed him up for Little League. He drove everybody crazy with statistics about how he can develop tumors from being hit in the head with a ball. Did you know that shin splints can lead to blood clots in the legs? Claire, he brought in a medical journal. Nobody wanted to play after this. I mean, I understand, like, being a weird, inquisitive kid. I was that kid, too, but that just seems like so tropish yeah like so what 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 propels the plot in the beginning of the movie is that yes is that the kid so the dad his dad is building him a treehouse, and he wants the kid to go to the hardware store and get him a bunch of nails one pound of these one, nails yeah and he hands him a nail he says give me one pound of these and so the kid's like no i don't want to and he's like go so he Goes and gets on his stupid bike, his stupid BMX that has all kinds of safety features on it. If this is not a sign of the times, I don't know what is. Because basically, well, first of all, like it's like a white family in suburbia. And the yeah. dad sends the kid to the hardware store by himself to pick up a box of nails. There's no way in hell that would happen today. No. Never. This is Never. Like, this is like Astoria, Oregon with the Goonies, where the kids are just roaming around doing whatever the hell they want. I mean, I had a childhood like that. No, I did too. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would have been sent to the store to pick stuff up on a bike. That was totally a sent normal to the, thing. Sent to the store to pick up cigarettes for your dad or or beer? Uh, well, my, no, dad that's, didn't, that's... my dad didn't smoke a drink. Oh, well, he smoked a pipe, but... Um, oh. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, he smoked a pipe, so. <laughs> um, um, so so he gets sent to the store. Uh, he gets mocked by some other kids because he's wearing, like, a giant raincoat and a giant helmet, and his bike makes a beeping sound every time. Hey, guys, look. Richie Tyler. <laughs> hey, check out his clothes. <laughs> hey, Tyler, where are you going? The moon. <laughs> Get cable on that thing, Tyler. <laughs> hey, what's the matter, you chicken? <laughs> what's the matter, wuss? You got your training wheels? <laughs> <laughs> and it's the it's you know what it is it's the forklift backup noise it is it is but it makes the sound whenever he's moving so At all which is annoying so as he's as he's getting as he's trying to get to the the hardware store this freak like lightning storm hits it which, kicks up out of nowhere which this was the first thing in my notes is how would his dad not have known that a lightning lightning storms just don't pop out of nowhere they don't just appear in like 10 minutes. Well, not in 10 minutes. No, but like, and that's essentially what happens. Like the kid goes down the street. It was straight blue sky and then all of a sudden big giant. Yeah, like lightning, I, thunder, hail, high winds, I think torrential hint, downpour. I think they hinted that it was like caused by magic. 
Um, but I'm unwilling. Well, to, yeah. I'm unwilling to accept that answer. So he, because I need to live in the world in which this entire movie is based off of a head trauma hallucination. Yeah. So he not magic. So, so so after the rain starts and he gets like knocked off his bike, he runs into this library, which is the best library I've ever seen outside of like Harry Potter and Beauty and the Beast. It's massive. Okay, I I've been to the New York uh, Public Library, the the big one that they use in Ghostbusters, the with the yeah. lines and stuff. This rivals that, or or is is better. It's like if you took there's you, a room with a giant rotunda. That's, yeah, I was gonna that's say like the size of your apartment that has like eight different like octopus arms of hallways leading off into different directions with a giant like like uh, Michelangelo uh, fresco on the ceiling uh, showing all of this like crazy. It's just ridiculous. I was gonna say it'd be like if. Someone took the like U.S. Senate building and turned that into a library. Holy and shit! Filled it with books. It's, seriously, it's it's massive, and it's like marble and uh, these like giant columns. So for like some Midwestern like shitty small town public library. Yeah. So, like if anything, it should be like two portables connected to each other by like a crappy wheelchair ramp. One for fiction, one for nonfiction. Yeah, That's it. So Macaulay Culkin, Rich, he goes in there and. The, the librarian, Mr. Dewey, is like, Oh, welcome, little child. You're here. Welcome to the library, young man. Don't tell me. You're here for a special book. Mm-hmm. Oh, stop, stop, stop. Allow me to guess. I have a talent for guessing what people need. You're in need of a fantasy. Brave knights, mythical fairies, ferocious dragons. Look, all I want is... Adventure, of course. You're a boy who loves adventure. Brimming with wicked demons, cutthroat pirates. No, no, that's not it. (sighs) Evil demons, wretched monsters. Haunted houses, graveyards. Yes, it's horror for you, boy. I'm sure of it. And and he's like, look, I just need to use the phone, buddy. Where's your phone? And he go and he starts talking to him. And this is I was telling you at lunch. This is where this is where he has problems with understanding personal space. Yeah, this is where this is where Christopher Lloyd. I don't know if it was written into his character. Or 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 what? <laughs> he gets super rapey, super rapey. So he gets he gets really close. Not goes, in a way that any that any kid is going to pick up on. No, but as an adult, it definitely makes you uncomfortable. So You're what like, he does is why he gets are you, why are you so close to my kid? <laughs> he gets Get really close to him and he says, "What you need is a fantasy, or an adventure, or horror." And all I could think of was, okay, he's describing his date with the kid. He's describing... <laughs> and in order. Yeah. No, exactly. He's like, I'm going to take you out, and we are going to have an amazing time. Then I'm going to have then a fantasy, gonna, yeah. and then you're yeah. a horror star. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a fantasy. Like, we're going to go out and do something that's really fun, and then we're going to have an adventure. We'll go, on a, we'll go on a nice car ride, and then the horror story will start, because that's where I'm burying your body in the fucking desert. Because oh, I, see, I was going to say burying his fist in his behind, but, or, you know. Or, or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah, and uh, I said, I said he's basically describing how he's going to seduce him, rape him, and then dispose of the body. 
It's it that that is actually sort of accurate. Yeah, and and to your point, I put down like, where is this library? I want to go to this library. I want to just live in that library. Seriously, it, it he like gives directions within the library where he says things like, uh, "Head northeast and then west at the rotunda." Like, if go if, that way, if and the, then go that way. If the library is big enough to he- tell somebody to head in a. Uh, a direction that they would need a compass for. Yeah, uh, that's it's like, too big for a small town. That's like essentially give give. It, it's like the beginning of Legend of Zelda. That's like give the kid a map and a compass and be like, it's dangerous to go alone. Here, take this shit. You won't. And then he tells him like, if you if you get lost, just look for the exit. And that becomes like a trope in the rest of the movie. Is when it goes to animated. Yeah, it, yeah, he's looking for the exit to get out of the thing. And then the last thing that I'll mention before the animated the animated part starts is um, in the rotunda, it shows the main stories that they're going to cover in the animated part. It shows foreshadowing. Super foreshadowing. In the middle of it all is the is the page master, a Gandalf-looking motherfucker that has, instead of beard, like his normal beard like curls up like pages, like, like paper. Yeah. And his hair does too. And so you have the... Uh, you have the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You have Moby Dick... And you have Treasure Island, and there's another. There's a couple other stories, but those are like the main three that that get dealt with. And there's also a dragon, but there's not really a story associated with. It's the just dragon. like it's a dragon. It's just yeah. a dragon. There's things hinted at, like there's fairies, the the Queen of Hearts. There's like random stuff. That's Pounds like of the Baskervilles. Yeah. Uh, so when so now when we get to the, the he slips. Anim- that was the other thing. Is so to. To, There's water on the floor and he slips. He's covered. He's drenched in water. And from it, this outside, was, the, this was the last note that I made was that he's standing there and it makes a point to show the water dripping off of his jacket. Yeah, and yeah. he literally does not move. He doesn't turn around. He doesn't take a step. He just sort of like goes and he slips on the water that's on the ground. That reminds me of those videos of people uh, faking slip and falls in supermarkets. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what it looks like. Like he just intentionally jumped up, threw his feet in the air, landed on his back, and then asked for a workman's comp. Yeah, so he slips and falls, smacks his head, and this is where the, this is where the hallucination starts. Right. And, and I'm sticking to it's a hallucination. And Q animated part. Q animated part. So the first book that he comes in contact with is the, the book Adventure, which is this swashbuckling gold adventure book that sort of looks like a stereotypical pirate. He's got an eye patch and a peg leg. He's got hawk. every piece of pirate paraphernalia. Ooh, that was a lot of peas. Yeah. Besides a parrot, that's another pea. Where's the son of a sea biscuit knock me from me crow's nest? Where's he be? Where's he be? So here be the lover who knocked me on me poop deck and with no apologies to. He's, yeah. got, he's got an eye patch. He's got a hook. He's got a pirate peg leg. Pirate peg leg. Yeah. yeah. Patched. He's a patched peg leg pirate with a prosthetic hook and no piercer and no parrot and no parrot. Yeah, yeah. And and it's done by Patrick Stewart. And what I like about this is that Patrick Stewart does not. I mean, he doesn't do a British accent. Now, first of all, Captain, my Captain. Okay? Oh, Captain, my so, Captain. So hashtag swoon. Okay, <laughs> sorry, sorry, not sorry. Uh, Patrick Stewart is like my jam, uh, but Patrick Stewart. Doesn't sound 100% like Patrick Stewart here. So he I think doesn't. he does kind of a good job. No, he, he gets that, like that pirate act like, the thing, last, the thing is, is with Patrick Stewart, he throws 100% no matter what he's doing. Even if it's something like this, he's he, like not so going to half-ass it. He's not He's not the most famous actor in this entire movie. But I, he's, he's I'm not even going to say arguably, he's the best actor in this movie. 
Yes, he is. He's the one who fully commits. Oh, absolutely. Except maybe Frank Welker or some of the smaller characters. Yeah. Jim Cummings, maybe. But, but you know, those are voice actors. It's like something they're used to. So, uh, Whoopi Goldberg is in this, too. But Patrick Stewart... Wait, by the way, Patrick Stewart, was this his first voiceover role? Uh, I don't think so. What would he have done before this? I guess that's not important. Sorry, I sidetracked. No, he might. this might have been his first voiceover work. Um, I just wanted to uh, briefly say that when he recorded this, um, him and Whoopi Goldberg did all their recordings together in the same room. Because they were buddies. Yeah, they were. They were buddies from Next Generation. Um, By the way, we'll get into it in a little bit, but this movie has a lot of Star Trek connections. Lots of Star Trek people. Uh, which makes me very happy, and I want to go watch a lot of Star Trek now. Yeah. So um, no, no problems for me on that. He started his career... Um, with the Royal Shakespeare Company, and he received the 79 Laurence Olivier Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Anthony and Cleopatra on West End. He is not for nothing. This guy uh, is a legitimate actor. You may know him only as Jean-Luc Picard or Professor, uh, X. Professor X, but he is like a legit actor. Um, he Right now, he's starring on the TV show Blunt Talk. Um, we can't talk about him, though, without mentioning Next Generation. And so... Something that I thought was kind of cool about Next Generation is that uh, during the filming of the first season, he lived out of his suitcase because of his skepticism that the oh, show yeah, wasn't going to succeed. He didn't think that it was going to be No. A... <laughs> and then he said that he realized he had become famous when, quote, it really wasn't until the first season ended when I went to my first Star Trek convention. I had expected that I would be standing in front of a few hundred people and found that there were two and a half thousand people and that they already knew more about me than I could ever possibly have believed. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be about right. So he he basically was Captain Picard from 87 to 2002. Um, multiple series, uh, uh, episode, uh, basically all of TNG, a couple episodes of um, DS9, he's one um, of the several on, movies. He's, on, he's one of the only character, or one of the only actors from Star Trek, really, that didn't get typecast. That's true. No, Katie Mulgrew. One of the few. One of the few. So, yeah. like, him and Kate Mulgrew. Yeah. But, but yeah, Patrick Stewart has had pretty consistent, varied work for the yeah. last 20 years. Well, he's also very proud of his work on TNG because yeah. of its social and educational educational message. He even said that, quote, the fact is all of those years in Royal Shakespeare Company playing all those kings, emperors, princes, and tragic heroes were nothing but preparation for sitting in the captain's chair of the Enterprise. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, Captain, my Captain. <laughs> um, he actually, uh, there was this great quote uh, where Gene Roddenberry was interacting with the press uh, where uh, a reporter said uh, to Gene Roddenberry, surely they would have cured baldness by the 24th century. And Gene Roddenberry quipped, uh, in the 24th century, they wouldn't have cared. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, what, what a badass Gene Roddenberry was. And of course, he was Professor Professor Xavier. Um which, uh, which I think is what a lot of people know him from. Um, yeah, a lot of modern people. Yeah, but he's done, a lot of he, the younger kids. He has done other stuff. He's done so. I mean, uh, he did stuff for Elder Scrolls and Castlevania: Lord of Shadow. Obviously, he's like the main narrator in that. If you played that, he did from Elder Scrolls was. I mean, it was good. He was. Uh, it was not great, but no, it wasn't. No, <laughs> uh, but he's in Steam Boy. That that was the one that I always. Uh, I have I have Steam Boy at home. If you haven't seen it, I'll bring it over. It's it's actually pretty cool. It's very um, steampunk esque. Well, I would assume so with the yeah. name. Yeah, 
Um, also, he's kind of a badass because his wife's 38 and he's 76. So there's that's a you know, good ratio. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's an impressive ratio. I mean, it shows he's 76, still got it, you know. So Whoopi Goldberg. We mentioned Whoopi Goldberg. Obviously, she is our biggest star in this movie. She plays the fantasy book. Our, our EGOT winner. Yeah, yeah, she's the fantasy... Uh, the fantasy book. Fantasy is... book. She's purple, and it's weird because you can see her toenails. I didn't notice it until Joy pointed it, because Joy watches with me. She oh. actually watches most of the stuff with me now. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, yeah sometimes like not to her preference, but... <laughs> yeah, because the character she plays, the fantasy book, wears glass slippers. And you can see her toes, and as soon as Joy pointed it out, I could stop looking at them. Well, it bugs me so bad. I didn't see that, so I'm glad that I didn't, <laughs> because I wasn't paying attention to that at all. Who are you? I'm fantasy. Oh. <clears throat> I'm fantasy. What is this? Hmm. It's a library card. I'm a book, honey. I can read. <clears throat> now tell me, what's the one thing you wish for more than anything in the world? Huh? Anything in the world? Uh, I'd like to get out of here. I'll grant your wish, child, but mm. you must do me one small kindness in return. Mm. You gotta check me out of here! Oh god, it's so irritating. So um, she's famous for Ghost and for Color Sister Purple. Act, Color uh, she's Purple. on the she's a current uh, member of the View. She was Guinan for Star Trek, who, who is what I will always know her as. Yeah. And also uh from Sister Act, which is the other movie that I kinda know her from. That was like a huge movie when it came out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Several hundred million dollars back in whatever, ninety two or ninety three or whatever it was. Yeah. Um and she also hosted tons of uh tons of uh Oscars. Um, yeah. Lots of... Uh, she was one of the three main hosts of the uh, Comic Relief. With, yeah, yeah. With... Uh, the, uh, with... Uh, what's his face? With um, Robin Williams. Yes, thank you. And someone else. And Billy Crystal. Yes. That's who it was. Robin Williams, Billy Crystal, and Whoopi Goldberg. Comic Relief. It was for like cancer research or AIDS research or something. I think it was AIDS research. AIDS I don't research. remember. But Frank Walker... Frank is, Walker. ...is the uh, horror book. The only book I remember from watching this as a kid... He's actually, uh, he's quote horror looking, but he's kind of nice. Yeah, no, he um, absolutely is. He, he's modeled after kind of Quasimodo. Huh? No, wait! Don't go in there! It's scary inside. Ha! I ain't afeard of nothing! I'm afraid. Of what? Of, of, and, 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 We've discussed Frank Welker many times on this, but this is the first feature film in which he's a major character. So I kind of want to spend a little time on him today, just yeah, because. In the, in the book, it's funny, his character, he, he's modeled as Quasimodo, and there are a few times where he yells sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, when he's being dragged uh, by the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Or whatever. And he's like, sanctuary, master, sanctuary. Master, yeah. <laughs> don't leave me. No way to treat a library book. Sanctuary! Sanctuary! <laughs> Frank Welker has arguably the most extensive voice acting career of anyone anywhere. Anywhere. Maybe maybe Mel Blank has a better one than him, but Mel I, Mel's dead. Mel's dead, and I think actually Frank Welker probably it's more extensive. Yeah, probably. He's he's done what was it? We counted what two hundred and something? No, no. There was an episode we did like way back. It might have been uh, when we did. Was it Darkwing Duck? Maybe Darkwing. Or maybe it was. Um, maybe it was Turtles or something. No, it was one of our earlier episodes. 
And I think he's done like 800 plus like voice acting credits or something. Yeah, he's, he started his, he's, I'm, it's loading, but he started his career uh, doing Fred Rogers from Scooby-Doo. And that's Fred, his, that's his. Fred Jones. Fred Jones, sorry. Yeah. That's his like normal speaking voice is Fred Jones. His first on camera role though was in an Elvis Presley movie called The Trouble with Girls in 69. Oh. He was the college kid who became friends with Elvis. So if you want to go take a look at a very young Frank Welker, you can. Uh, there's going to be a link to the description of a supercut of all of his stuff. 791 and, acting credits. So I was close. 800? Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also a supercut we're going to put in the description of... Um, he was invited invited to roast the, um, the late, great comic George Burns. And uh, so he does like a what three or five minutes set with george burns and it's kind of cool because the diocese has uh at the time i believe the current governor of california who then like two years later or a year later became president of the united states ronald reagan sitting oh, in the diocese um but his voices are crazy i mean he has done everything um he he's dr claw from inspector gadgets he's one of the beagle boys uh, from DuckTales, he was Ray Stance and Slimer from Ghostbusters. Uh, he's Nibbler from Futurama. I mentioned he was a Graboid from uh, Tremors. Uh, Megatron from Transformers. Uh, I mean, basically, you can name something and, he, and he's probably been in it. I mean, there's so... It's hard to imagine an animated something that he didn't do. He was a boo from Aladdin. <laughs> think, think it was Raja the Tiger in Aladdin too? Yeah, basically... Anytime the, the, there's an animal, it's Frank Welker. Yeah, uh, pretty much you have a 95% chance if there's an animal or some kind of weird noise in a movie that doesn't sound like it's a stock noise, that it's Frank Welker doing it. It's insane, the like vocal range and the... It's not even the vocal range, that's not even the right word. It's insane, like... The capacity that his the vocal voice, gymnastics, yeah, that his voice say. can do. It's like he'll do shit where it's like, <laughs> like that's Frank Welker. He was the voice of the dog from the movie Cujo. We were watching the supercut, and I was like, no, no, he didn't. Yeah. That doesn't even sound like it could have even remotely been made by a human. Yeah, uh, there's a uh, also there's a a link that I put into uh, the description notes um, where. Frank Welker is the, uh, it's like a supercut of the aliens from Mars Attacks. Yeah. Frank Welker has done so much that we could, we could do an entire episode just on Frank Welker, just naming the shit he's done. Like 800, 790 something. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. So there's a couple other big guys that were in this movie. Um, one of the biggest was uh, Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. He played. Oh, yes. uh, he played uh, uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. It was. A, it was a short, probably like two minute role in this movie. His voice though is so recognizable. Oh, absolutely. That you hear it and you go, "Oh, that's Leonard Nimoy." My boy, I derive no pleasure in telling you that you are in extreme danger. Danger? Even as we speak. Lurking in this very room, waiting to strike our forces of evil. There's no question. There's no... Like, I feel like Leonard Nimoy's voice acting credits are always like, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Nimoy, we would like to do a character and we just want him to sound like you. Can you just talk into the mic and, and read the shit that we wrote for you? And he goes, yeah, okay, sure, we could do that. And then that's what he does. You know, you know who Leonard Nimoy kind of sounds like? He kind of sounds like John Huston. A, a, li a little bit. Yeah. Uh, his temper is a little lower. Yeah. I, I think John of, Houston. I think of I think of uh, Leonard Nimoy and I 
I compare his voice to like Gandalf's voice from the anime. I like that you linked it to Gandalf because there's also going to be a link in the in the description for a song that Leonard Nimoy recorded in '67 called "The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins." Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, that bravest it, little hobbit of them all. It's very bizarre. It was kind of lost to history, and yeah. then it became a meme. And now I feel like it's kind of like circulated the internet. But uh, Leonard Nimoy, did you know that he played the character so much on on screen? The character that Spock. When, the character Spock. That when he got home, he couldn't turn it off. I can I can see that if you're doing the same thing for a long time. He said each weekend during the original run of the series that he would be in character throughout Saturday and halfway into Sunday, behaving more like Spock. Logical, rational, thoughtful, less emotional, and finding calm in every situation. I'm sure his wife loved that. Um, well, they got divorced later, so probably not. That's probably because he he had alcoholic uh, alcoholism issues and stuff. But he he would start the cycle all over again on Monday, so he'd get like half a day break. But he um he was obviously lifelong friends with um, Shatner um, until until his death, actually. And um, I, I guess we could go into a, another whole episode about yeah. Leonard Nimoy. There's there's a great um, documentary about him, and there's all kinds of stuff. It's called For the Love of Spock. I think we mentioned it his, before. Yeah, his son did his it. His right? son did it. Yeah, and it's it's actually very good. Um, so we George got... Hearn, who's Captain Ahab, um, he's a two time te- uh, Tony Award winning Broadway actor, uh, mostly done stage acting, but his voice is very iconic. Jim Cummings. We've talked about Jim Cummings. Yeah, we've talked about Jim Cummings a lot. We probably don't have to go into his roles, but no. But I, I put a supercut in there first, uh, or at the bottom too. He, he's done all kinds of stuff like Darkwing Duck and Tailspin. He's done Carnage. Uh, he's the dim-witted hyena from Lion King. Yeah. Um, Ed. Ed. And uh, Phil Hartman apparently was in this. Everywhere I look, says Phil Hartman, is in, is in this. Every voice acting website, Wikipedia, IMDb, he, everything. I try to listen for him. I cannot hear him. He's he, essentially like an additional voices, where he he plays like one background character, but he was such a big name that they just put him in all the, the credits. He's a pirate that has a red bandana. He's tall, has like a turquoise short uh, shirt and like weird looking mangled teeth. Um, and I, also I put a, a super cut to, uh, his Troy McClure stuff because it's my Hi, favorite. I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such films as... What am I doing in your mom? And hello, Uncle Dad. <laughs> Those are not real Troy McClure's. <laughs> no, they're but not. they could be. <laughs> they could be. Uh, uh, the other character that he always did that I loved was the unfrozen caveman lawyer. Huh. Um... Oh. Or that, or what? Caveman lawyer, attorney at law. Yeah, and they, he would he like also, speak in like uh, like very uh, eloquent English, and then uh, fire would be mentioned. He would get terrified. Ah! He did that too with uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, the Frankenstein. Fire, bad. Yeah, he was um, also Lionel Hutz, attorney at law. Yeah, Lionel Hutz. Oh, Lionel Hutz. He, if you ever want to go back and watch some old episodes of Pee Wee's Playhouse, um, he helped to uh, create the character Pee Wee with <laughs> with Paul Rubin. They they co created the character Pee Wee back when they were in the Groundlings. Up in oh, L.A. in 75. Good times. If you go to the Groundlings Theater in L.A., there, there's pictures of them, like, framed and stuff on the wall. Have you ever done a I show have not. Groundlings? I've walked by it, though. Oh, you should go. It's, it's cool. It's in Hollywood, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah, not, yeah. it's not expensive, either. It's maybe 30, I I, 40 bucks a ticket, and you I can walked, go. I walked by that and the uh, the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater they have down there, too. Oh, yeah. There's a, Upright Citizens Brigade will do guerrilla theater sometimes in L.A. if you, like, follow stuff on Twitter every once in a while. People will do random shit in the street or something, and, and you can pick it up because that's kind of their thing. Oh. Um, there's um, Baloo from Tailspin, who's Ed Gilbert. BJ Ward, 
Uh, she does the Queen of Hearts, and we mentioned her before on our uh, mention of Centurions because she's Cassandra. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She only has one line in this movie, and that's off she with his head. Off with his head. That's yeah. it. That's the one thing she yells. Hey, she got paid for it. That's true. Hey, if you're getting paid, if you're getting paid. Um, the 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 pirate. One of the pirates from Hispaniola is this old guy named Richard Erdman who started acting in '44. He's in his '90s, and uh, if you've ever seen the TV show Community, he's the old student. On, on community. Every time you see that really old guy at the community college in community. Oh, okay, okay. That's him. Yeah, huh. that's him. And then... Um, Fernando Escondon. Oh, yeah. Who's done, like, nothing. Nothing. Uh, Dorian uh, Harewood, who um, hasn't done a whole lot, but he did... The one thing that I remember him from, uh, looking at his picture, was the guy in the wheelchair from the TV short-lived TV show Viper. The one I about never the saw that there's one. a TV show on NBC about a about a, a white guy with a Dodge Viper and a black uh, like sidekick in a wheelchair. Um, apparently, he's Mr. Otterton in uh, Zootopia. And then the last one that I want to mention is Robert Picardo. Oh yeah, Doctor My Do- he's my favorite Star Trek Doctor. So uh, and I, and I was telling you earlier that he was in uh, an episode of Supernatural where yeah. he plays like a like a science fiction buff slash. Uh, ethereal fairy type character. Uh, there's some other characters we don't yeah. need to get into them. So let's let's talk about let's talk about the show because we're already about an hour into this and we should talk about the show a little bit. No, I refuse. Yeah. So uh, I refuse. So the animated part of this movie is essentially him is essentially Macaulay Culkin's character trying to overcome his fear and like find the hero within himself. To make it to the exit of the library, yes, and and like grow as a person and grow as a as a human being and, and whatever, and he has to go through the three different lands. Essentially, he starts with he starts. They start in horror, and it's the it's the uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and then they transition to adventure, and they get to the Hispaniola and the Treasure and Island, and fantasy, and then they go to fantasy where it's it's uh, Gulliver's Travels, and then it turns into just some. Uh, generic like fantasy fantasy uh yeah. dragon slaying nonsense thing. there's <laughs> it's weird because the transitions are sort of random yeah and and they're, they're not like they're not truncated on anything it's not like they go through a door and now they're in adventures realm and they go through another door and now they're in fantasies it's just sort of like their adventure in whatever they were doing ends so now they're in the next section like so, they get out of they get out yeah. of Hyde's castle or Hyde's house, and now they're in adventure. Well, like so, what happens is is Macaulay Culkin uh, he encounters Adventure the book, then encounters Fantasy the book, and then they uh, they're running they they mistakenly open a uh, Hound of the Baskervilles book, mm-hmm. and they run and open up a book in the bookshelf, run inside, and then they end up in sort of uh the horror area for like no reason yeah and, and then they, and then they encounter to, the horror book you have to you have to imagine it that they're running to different sections of the library yeah so when they're in the library like they're running around in the it's actually kind of funny because at one point adventure is climbing up on the books and uh Culkin encounters the fantasy book and, and fantasy turns to him and says you know that short story yeah, he's adventure. Honey, that's what they all say. I heard that! I love you no! I'm a classic! Mm-hmm. A classic misprint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I I genuinely laughed at that line. Yeah. I I I actually I thought that wasn't a joke for kids. That no, was, it wasn't. That was for the adults. You clever, clever <laughs> guy. Uh, I there's a few of those moments in here, or or it's just stuff where you think like. Um, it's it's reference to shit that kids aren't gonna get. Like like when fantasy tells horror to find page thousand and one, and he looks at it, he goes, "You mean Arabian Nights?" And like that's the one, and she pulls it out like a thousand and one Arabian Nights. Yeah, and then that like she creates the magic carpet out of that page. Well, when I was watching this at that point, uh, my wife uh, was watching it, and she said something like, uh. Oh yeah, I guess Arabian Nights would be under fantasy. Uh, I when the carpet came out, I was expecting uh, Aladdin, but but then Aladdin's a movie and it's based off of Arabian Nights. Oh, that's clever. <laughs> um, there there are moments when you're like, oh, that that's kind of smart. There yeah. there's points when like they're running from so when they're in horror, they're running from Doctor Jekyll and um, or, or uh, they're running from Mister Hyde, and there's these books. Uh, that are part of the wall. One of them says like the shining and then another one says pet cemetery. So that's the other thing we should mention. All of the story stuff that we, that that's covered in this movie is all stuff that is um, like actual books. It's well, yes, it's actual books, but it's all stuff that is in the public domain. Well, all the, all the main stories were yes. public domain. Anything um, that is uh, like, you'll see books written and referenced in the walls Many of those are books that were like more current. Yeah, but the actual stories, like the storylines that they follow, are all stuff in the public domain. You have Treasure Island, which is public domain. You have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, public domain. Alice have, in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland. You have uh, the, the uh, Gulliver's Treasure, Travels. Treasure, Treasure Island. Island. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are all. So they didn't have to pay rights for anything in this in this movie, which is good for them. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's, like, it's like when you watch... Or an old movie that doesn't want to pay for like song rights, so they sing "Happy Birthday" instead of singing a real song. Oh, it's funny you said "Happy Birthday" because there's this one point when Adventure gets uh, caught on fire from this the dragon uh, from the dragon, and so he's on fire, and a horror goes to uh, like to blow him out, and so he blows the fire out, and he says, oh, "Happy Birthday." It's it's very weird. Uh, it's yeah. kind of out of place, but it's another one of those moments where uh, the timing was. M- I mean, it's not like a joke the kids aren't going to get, but it, the comedic timing seemed more adult esque. Yeah. Um. There. There's. Oh, there's a point when Captain Picard. Uh, adventure. Whatever. I'm going to call yeah. him Captain. I'm just going to Captain look, Adventure. Look, my notes say Captain. My Captain. That's what I wrote. <laughs> I don't even care. Uh, so there's this point around the 45, 50 minute mark when the Captain, uh, when Captain, my Captain is cross dressing. Well, it's because he gets blasted by he gets blasted by fantasy and turns into like a fairy princess. And he goes, "You've gone too far, woman!" And he like rips everything off. And it wouldn't be the last time that Jean Luc Picard would cross dress. There, there's been several times in other movies where he's done cross dressing. It's actually been pretty funny. So eventually, um, eventually, Macaulay Culkin's character faces the dragon, overcomes his fear, and leads his friends, the books, out of the fantasy land back into reality. And he gets dropped back into his body. It was like it's like the whole thing was an out of body experience. So his animated body drops into his physical body, and then the three books drop alongside him. Oh, that's yeah, that's like right at the end when um, Fantasy turns to him and says, "Baby, you're the greatest." Mm. <laughs> 
there's there's this weird love relationship between the two of them between uh, fantasy and, and fantasy yeah, that it's develops. It's so weird. At one point, he like kisses her and awkward. Yeah, I don't know why they do it because it's unnecessary. Why? I don't need to see books kiss. Did you notice there's a point at, towards the end when uh, when they crash into a bunch of giant books, like they're like giant boulder books. And one of them is a copy of Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, that's the one that but you it's, picked. But they're in fantasy, uh, which I th- well, that Atlas Shrugged is is a fictional book. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's, it's not it's, a fantasy book. But it's listed under fantasy. Yeah, it's, I, it's more like political commentary. But my thought was, is it being in the fantasy world... Was that a political statement by the No, I, I think it was more... Or am I like... Am I going no, like you're too way deep? too far. I'm going too deep. No, no, okay. no. I, I think it was more that... It was more that that was the book that was on top of Macaulay Culkin's character. And he had to literally like shoulder it and push it off him. And it was the only book that made sense like visually. Yeah, I guess. I mean... it. it he he does have this very visual atlas push. Yeah, up. he like pushes like, it up like like he's like, like he's holding got, up the world. Yeah. yeah, and then he like throws the book off of him. I don't think that was the visual cue, yeah. but my mind was thinking, man, is that like really smart social commentary? Or, <laughs> I don't think. Uh, I, I don't think it was that. I at think all. I'm giving the writers too much credit. Yeah, uh, I think you're giving them a little way b- too much. Before credit. we get to the live action, did so the animation itself was. Um, there are points when it was better than others. Did you notice that? Yeah, it, it like went in and out. It was like, it was almost like there were some scenes that were done by filler animation houses, and then some that were filmed by like the main people. What it mostly was was a lot of the lining done around, uh, around characters and around uh, parts of the body. Yeah. So it was almost like the black lines that separate his hair from his skin would go missing. And then it made the characters look kind of washed out. Yeah, like there, the, were, there were times in this movie where the animation was probably on the level of like an American tale. Like, yes, like really, like, like really, really good. Really crisp. Really good. And then there were other times where it was just sort of like... Like, like they just said, fuck it. Yeah, like they, they either ran out of time, money, or both. And they're just like, let's just get this over with. I got uh, shit to do. But really, like as a kid, I don't think you're gonna you're gonna I don't think you're gonna like notice no, that. No, that's just like us as adults picking shit apart. Yeah. Uh I, I mean there there is stuff that like there are things that he says that like I kind of related to though. Like where where he turns to the books and he says You guys are the only friends I've ever had. Yeah, that line was kind of depressing. And I thought his only friends are hallucinatory books he just met. That kid needs to like get off the LSD and get on to the uh, playground. I mean, I guess I kind of get it. Like, if you're a kid, like I didn't grow up with like a whole lot of friends, um, and I spent a lot of time being Pity, sort of bold. party of one. Yeah, Pity. here I am over here. Ding ding ding. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I I like to read a lot. So like Treasure Island and you know a lot of those kinds of books I read when I was a kid, and so I get kind of the whole like escaping into a book and blah blah. Did blah. you pretend that you um, were Jim? No, no, I didn't. Oh. I just like I, I just enjoy the story. It's like I was along for the ride. You know? oh, okay, but but I mean, like it's kind of sad, and 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 I get it because in the in the live action stuff at the beginning, they show him being teased. Oh yeah, by no. the neighborhood kids. And you know what? So part of part of that is what I was talking about earlier, where I wanted to talk about some more like the philosophy of this movie is. This movie is very definitely one of those movies where the critics pretty much hated it all for the most part. Almost every, across the board. Across the board, eighteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And then if you look at if you look at like the the audience reviews, the audience reviews are more like 44, 45 percent, which is not great, but it's not as bad as the eighteen percent. 
And I would say that even that's maybe a little lower. I would say it's higher than that. Yeah, because because the people that would go out of their way to write a review on like a website like Rotten Tomatoes, they're not the... They're, they're not either like, going to gush or they're going to try and rip it apart. Well, that's what I'm saying is they're not like the average viewer. Like the average viewer that, that watches this movie is not going to go out and write a review. Just on like, Rotten Tomatoes. This yeah, on Rotten Tomatoes. This 22 just, years later, 23 years later. Yeah, just like the average person is not going to like call in a complaint to a company because they were upset about something like that's someone who feels super passionately about it but the average person is not going to do that so statistically most of those passionate responses are complaints too yeah because nobody when something bad very few when something bad happens to you that stands out in your mind a lot better than something really really good because something really really good happens you're just like oh that's that's super awesome and then that's it but if something bad happens, you want like some compensation, some resolution for this. People want shit. They want stuff for free. That, exactly. That's what it is. So, like, my argument was that this movie was not as bad. Like, yeah, I I agree it wasn't a great movie in any in any way, shape, or form. But this movie, I don't think, was all that bad because Because it was basically Dallas for kids. Oh, it was all a dream? It was all a dream. No. Ooh. You know, he was, <laughs> Joy, I'm stealing that from my wife. She was so aware. He, he wakes up from, uh, like after he gets to the eggs in the animated world. He wakes up and it's live action. And she goes, so it's basically Dallas for kids? Yeah. Because she missed the first like 20 minutes of the movie. So that was her first reaction. I was like, I'm stealing that. Yeah. She goes, you better give me credit. I was like, okay. Well, no, <laughs> so, like, so this, this movie is... It touches on it touches on some points of like growing up. It you know it's your classic Joseph Campbell hero's journey where he starts yes, out okay. he starts out in like a really bad place. Like he's he's like a he's scared. He has no friends. He has no like social like it, it's made apparent through what the parents say when he eavesdrops on him. Yeah, he, he even he, hears them like in their critique of him. Yeah, like he which has is sad. He has no friends. And he admits he has no friends. And he's afraid he has, of everything. He's afraid of everything. He has no mechanism to make friends because whatever he is, he's autistic or he's just socially maladjusted. He has no like, he has no like real way. I would, I would actually argue he might be in the, a little bit in the spectrum because he's fixated on, he has obvious fixation, mm -hmm. right? He has issues with uh, socially interacting with other people with uh expressing empathy his dad falls off the ladder in the beginning and his first response is uh do you have tingling in your toes not are you okay do you have tingling in your toes which is like a um kind of a displaced way to ask if he's okay so the idea of showing empathy is an issue i, I would argue that it's very possible i mean just very i mean we're not going to get into like clinical diagnoses of a, yeah. a of a fictional macaulay culkin character in a 1994 film here but I would argue maybe he has some sort of spectrum disorder and, yeah. and, and, and that's, and he's trying to relate to the world around him. And this is maybe part of his, this is maybe his way to get to a coping mechanism. Yeah. Maybe. And, and you know, what's funny. It's, it's so, it sounds so silly to say this out loud, uh, but the page master makes at the end when he meets the page master after he defeats the dragon and he meets the page master with the other books, the other books are like, Oh my God, this is like the God of yes, our life. So like he, he's, he gets to the end and it's animated and it's the page master and they have this interaction and then it goes live action. Yeah. But during yeah. that animated interaction, all the books are like, Oh my God, it's the page master. Like they're all bowing. And the, the kid is like, he's like, Hey, 
fuck you, asshole. You're the one that put me through all this shit. And he's like, of course I put you through it. And they're like, well, what the hell? Why didn't you just why didn't you just show me where the freaking exit was, guy? And he's like, well, what kind of an adventure would it have been? What would you have learned if I just teleported you to the exit? Essentially telling him, like, look, you've grown as a person throughout this entire ordeal. And I made that happen Yeah, for you. like, I facilitated this growth in you because I put Serious you, emotional growth. Yeah, because I put you in these situations where you had to... Like, ignore your fears and ignore and overcome all that stuff. And to, take to, charge of the world around you. Yeah. And to make a leap of faith in trust. To both. And to care about something. Yeah. And, and to it, express empathy. Uh, and it was both to progress physically, like, to get to a different spot in the area. And it was to progress emotionally. And that shows at the end when he gets when he gets uh, taken back to, like, the real world. You know, if we go off of this, then... it. And, and I actually, I agree with you. I didn't even think about it in this way. And normally, like, I'm the one who gets, like, weirdly philosophical. But I would, I think, I, I miss this completely. But it makes a lot of sense. And and I think that at the end of it, um, this movie is probably a, a deeper, this is one of the things that we've covered that's deeper than something we've covered in a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If this is the route we're going to go, yeah. unless we're talking, I mean, maybe Batman a while back when, yeah, when yeah, we did yeah. Batman and maybe uh, I can't think of something earlier than that, but I would, I would say this is actually a lot deeper than I was thinking it was going to be. Yeah. And no, that's what, that's what I like reading the reviews. They're like, Oh, this movie's garbage. Oh, this, this movie is really like surface level and blah, blah, blah. And it's, maybe it's because the, the freaking reviewers were all surface level and they're just like, oh, this more kid fodder bullshit. I don't want to watch this shit. And they're just like, like, I, I mean. It's I like can, Roger Ebert pissed off that the Tribune is making him watch fucking Pagemaster. Yeah. And I, I mean, mean how many, I, which how, many I movies, how many movies do they watch a week? Like, I, I can see how you get burned out if you're watching like a movie a day for a week and you're just like writing Some reviews. Some two or three. Yeah. And you're writing reviews on that shit. But if, if you're like, if you think, if you take the time and maybe, you know, I could, this could be completely me over analyzing it, but who, whatever. You can, like, even if you're over analyzing it, you can draw like, like meaningful things out of it and this kid went on this kid went on a journey where he essentially even if it was all a hallucination he realized in his life that he was going in the wrong direction that he was like acting in a way that was like detrimental to his own mental and physical health and he consciously or subconsciously chose to shoot like to go a different way yeah. and he completely changes his character and he becomes more relatable because he's like a normal person instead well, of like a crazy person i think maybe in that case maybe uh spectrum disorder is maybe not the case because that's a clinical diagnosis it's not going to change yeah but uh, again this is 94 so you know their understanding i i, I mean i don't know i don't, I don't want to say that I, that it I isn't the case. I felt like he was, and then and then his maybe redemption at the end quote redemption um, is that oversimplified like unrealistic redemption. Um, like in all those in all those situations, a character is presented with a choice. Like you have to either do this and move it's on, X or, or not do this and stay where you are. And he he chooses to do something and move forward and move forward and save his friends and like. He actually challenges the authority at the end and says, "Like, what the hell are you?" Whereas before, he probably would have never done that. Well, he, was, like, he was afraid of the of the. Uh, but it does sound like he was challenging authority before because he showed up to Little League with a medical journal to argue yeah. against, uh, you know, head injury and shin splints. So he is probably was he gonna, doing that more out of fear or out of like challenging? Oh, probably out of fear. Yeah, 
Probably out of his own agoraphobia. Yeah, he's just like, no, um, I don't want to do it because look at all this shit that can happen. But like I said, I might be I might be thinking way too much about it. But like that's that's what that's what left me. But I tend to think about this stuff when I'm watching movies anyway because I normally do too. I, I so okay when I when I watch this movie, I I got about halfway through it. Uh, I noticed my kid had a temperature of nearly 104, had to take her to a walk-in. Yeah. Uh, so maybe you were a little distracted. And then we came back, we finished the rest of it while she was, you know, kind of hanging out and not feeling so great. Um, which, by the way, she loved this movie. My my three-year-old loved this movie um, a lot. And when the animation part ended, it was back to live action. She got sad, and I asked her why, and she said it was because she missed the books. Yeah, and the books make a little cameo at the end in shadow form. Yeah. He, he takes the books home, the adventure, so, yeah. fantasy, and horror books. Keep in mind, his character's been missing for, like, all day. Uh, yeah. He went out to go get nails, has been gone all day, and his parents basically went and drove to the neighborhood looking for him instead of calling the police. They come home, and by, mind you, they know nothing about his emotional transformation. They come home... And Macaulay Culkin is up in the treehouse that he hated and didn't want anything to do with that his dad was building for no good reason other than he wanted his kid to have a treehouse. Yeah. There he is, sleeping up there with a bunch of random books. And <laughs> they're and, like, oh, let's just leave him. And they go, oh, he looks happy. Let's leave him. Like, for all they know, he's sleeping off a concussion and needs to go to the hospital. But, you know, yeah. this is 94. Yeah. I, I, I mean... Concussion... I, my, before my, the NFL really started looking at concussions. Well, it's also like pre, a little bit pre uh, helicopter parenting. Yeah. Well, my, my parents, we were talking about this before. Like, I definitely had a, a childhood where I was maybe 10 years old and my parents would say, go pick something up for the store and I could go right off, you know, I don't think to, my, the, to the neighborhood supermarket or the hardware store, pick something up and come back. I could be gone all day. I could be gone the whole day, yeah. hanging out with other kids. No question of where I am. Just come home for lunch, come home for dinner, uh, and if somebody's bleeding or injured, let us know. That I, was it. That, I had a lot of freedom. I don't think my parents kid. ever sent me to get something from the store, but there was definitely a lot of times where I was just like gone for most of the day, and then I would come back and be like, "I'm back." And, and like, like, "Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, thank so. you for leaving us alone. I got to sleep, and yeah, essentially, yeah. <laughs> and clean the house." But overall, like at the end of all this, did you like the movie? I did. Would you recommend it? I, you, said, you said Eleanor loved it, right? Yeah. I I guess I would recommend this. I, I To me, it's like innocuous. It's it's entertaining a yes. little bit. Yes, okay, perfect. That's it, a great way to look at it. It's entertaining. It's not offensive. It, it's short. It, it's, it's something that I feel like any kid could watch and find enjoyment in and not really have to think too much about it. I mean... People like numbers to quantify. If I was going to give this some sort of a rating, which I, I think is bullshit, I don't believe in the rating system, but I guess if I was going to try, I would say six and a half, seven. Like, it's hard. That's a little higher than me. Like, I'd I say was, six and a half. Yeah, six, it, six, six and a half, maybe. I, I'd say um, the animation's pretty good. The music, oh, by the way, the, the music. The, Whatever you imagine. <laughs> The, the Imagine song, song by yeah. Wendy Moten. Uh, Out of nowhere that song shows up. Between the transition between uh, Adventure and Fantasyland. Yeah. And, and my wife completely recognized the singer. That actually, that sequence had, I thought, one, some of the best animation. Because it was the yes. little fairy things that were dancing in his hand. It was really good. Yeah. yeah. And then there's music at the end called Dream Away with Babyface and Lisa Stansfield. And as soon as it started playing, of course, my wife knew exactly who was singing. She knew it was Babyface. 
Um, she was very proud of herself and also thoroughly embarrassed. Uh, but I'm going to call her out right now. So I'm, I'm embarrassed for her. Uh, I was also embarrassed for her. Uh, the music is fine. Uh, the animation is pretty good. The story is not nearly as bad as everybody says. That no, it's it is. not. It's, it, this movie, I think, gets a really bad rap. It does. It's definitely not great. It's, no, it's not no, American. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that, yeah. But if I was going to... If I was going to put this into the watch or unwatch category, I would say definitely in the watch category. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a good um, way to that's a good way to do it. Like, would you would you buy someone to would you recommend watching it again or not watching it again? Yeah. So, and then within the watch category, I feel like so because watch don't go out of your way to watch, but well, if it's on, just well, like check it out. Well, no, no. I, I mean, like, there's so in the unwatch category, it's empirically don't watch. Like, it's shitty. Don't watch. Period. Period. Yeah. Period. In the watch category. I'd say there's maybe two groups. Uh, no, three. So the first is if it's on, um, it's not something that's offensive that you should change the channel for. That's group number one. Okay. Um, group number two is uh, this would make a great drinking game. Watch it even though it's terrible. Okay. Okay. Um, and then the third group is... It's uh, it's like objectively good. You should rewatch it. It's objectively good. I would rewatch it. And then, of course, there's varying degrees within that. There's stuff that's like way good. And then there's stuff that's like... It's not shitty. Like, uh, you but, should go out and download this now. And, uh, and like, oh, if it's on Cartoon Network, just watch it. Like, if if you, for whatever reason, wanted to watch this, go ahead. Go ahead and watch it. And it's cool for your kids to watch. Uh, won't be a problem. I, I wouldn't necessarily tell people, you have to go see this. This is not like Batman the Animated Series. No. no, uh, no. Or Samurai Jack. But but in the off... Or Ghostbusters or Gem. Yeah. In but, the off event that it is on somewhere just watch it it's it's not yeah please yeah please. it's not offensive and i i really i honestly enjoyed it i was telling chris beforehand that when that song came on when the uh, the imagine song when it came on i was like oh my god i remember this song and i started singing along with it and I was, sean knew the words i did now who's turned to be embarrassed i'm not embarrassed why should you be embarrassed by something that makes you happy uh because it's terrible I don't know. I didn't. You're like terrible. That. Yeah, I am terrible. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I didn't really like that song that much. But you know, it's just I, it's super. If you've never heard it, we'll play it. But if you've never heard it, it's just super. It is a super '90s song. There, there's a link to the uh, in the description for both the Imagine song and Dream Away. Super if you, if you '90s song. It's just like an epic '90s uh, like like ballad type yeah, song. Yeah, you and know, it has a lot of it has a lot of like crescendoing like. You know what it reminds me of is Dream Worth Keeping in Ferngully. Yes. Yes, but it was that Sheila E. Yeah, oh. Sheila E. Uh, Sheena Why do we know so- Sheena Easton? Sheena Easton. Oh, sorry. Why do we know so much about cartoons? Because we God. we do the show. That's why. God That's bless why. America. Yeah. Oh. All right. I think that'll do it. This absolutely. Episode. That'll uh, do it. Recommended. Uh, good for kids. Safe, but not the greatest movie ever. Yeah. Okay. A solid like C plus. Yeah. C's get degrees. Yeah. C's do get degrees. <laughs> so if you want to talk about this episode or any other episode or you want to give us a uh, suggestion on shows to do, you can always find us on Twitter. Just search for Childhood Remastered. Same on Facebook. Uh, by the way, this episode was a suggestion from a listener. Um, it was. Yeah. Uh, a Southern California local uh, yeah. resident. So if you guys have recommendations, please send them our, our way. Uh, just... Drop a, a, a comment on our page uh, on Facebook or on Twitter or, or email. You can do that. I guess if you want to message, uh, we've gotten some of our requests that way too. You can do that as well. But um, whatever mode floats your boat. Yeah. If you could, give us five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your uh, podcast. Yes. That would do us great 
benefit. Yes, the algorithm is a whole load of nonsense. We do this for free. We're not getting paid. There's yeah. no, you know, we're not trying to get any cash or anything. But we want people to enjoy it. Yeah. And if, if you, you enjoyed, enjoyed it, exactly. please, please, five stars, five stars. We want to thank uh, John Howarth for the use of our theme music. The song is called Nascent. You can find a link to his SoundCloud on our webpage, childhoodremastered.com. Check him out. He does a lot of good electronic music. Uh, let him know what you think. We like the song. We like the rest of his stuff, too. You should check it all out. Yeah. I I think for this week, that's all we got. But yeah. uh, in the future, uh, at some point coming up, we're going to do a, a big episode block on on, on several, several uh, tying subject matters. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, we're gonna cover some of that, maybe, and yeah. in the in the future, maybe not next episode, but but in the in the future, we will be maybe working on some of that. So. Maybe if you're so, lucky, if you behave, audience, if you behave, yeah, yeah, give us five stars. Yeah, you, you get what you want. We're holding you ransom. Yeah, we're whores for that five stars. That's right. <laughs> we'll do it. Yeah, I'll do anything, anything you want. Oh God, Sean getting Sean getting all kinds of crazy now. Getting all kinds of uh, Full Metal Jacket anything. So, uh, <laughs> so that'll do it for this episode. And until next time, this is Sean and Chris, and this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time. You see, that's just what can happen if you look inside your mind. There's no limit to the wonders you can find. Concentrating, and I promise you that if you do.